and welcome my good friend, good brother, because he's in Christ. So he's our brother and our friend in Christ. Welcome Reverend Justin Meadows to the pulpit. Come on, my brother. Come on and clap your hands for Jesus and give him glory and honor in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated for just a moment, and uh, I hate to have you up and down for a moment, but if you will oblige me, it is an honor and privilege to be in service with you. This is the first time I've ever been in service at a firehouse, and so how awesome is that? And uh, maybe somebody's soul will catch on fire today. I don't know. I'm probably too late for all those jokes, right? So I probably should just stop while maybe I'm ahead. So I'll slow down. But it is an honor and privilege to be here. Give honor to your pastor, his family. Do you love your pastor's family? Would you put your hands together and give honor to them for all that they do? Now, your pastor is very kind to us, but his reputation precedes him, and he's known all across our movement for the great work uh, that they have done here. And so it is an honor and privilege to be in service with you and uh, with this great church here today. My beautiful wife, Tiffany's here with me, and then my two little boys, Parker and Palmer. And uh, Parker is six years old. He'll be seven here in about two months. And uh, Palmer is eight weeks old, and uh, he's been in eight states in eight weeks. And so he's uh, getting around just a little bit. Parker would love to preach to you, though, for just a moment, if you would give him just a moment of your time this morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. I don't know how many firemen are in the house, but they're going to hear the word of the Lord this morning. And um, today I'll be preaching about the fourth man in the fire. One day there were three Hebrew boys and they were sent to the king and he had a statue made of gold. And it was a statue of him and everybody in the village must bow down to it. But the three Hebrew boys would not. So the king did not like that and throw them in the burning furnace. And so when he came back to check on them, there was a fourth man. And they pulled him out of the furnace and there's not one scratch on them. So I want to preach to somebody today, right now. If they feel like they're stuck in the devil's furnace, they can be with God. If you feel like you're going down in the fire, he can bring you up. If somebody believes that tonight, clap your hands. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, it is it is indeed our honor and privilege to be here. We uh, we did live just not too far from here, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We moved there in August of 2014, and uh, we didn't know anybody when we moved into the city. Uh, I had a book about this thick. Eh, it may not have been that thick, but it was pretty thick. I called it a strategic plan of what we were going to do, how we were going to start the church. Uh, found out that about 99.8% of it did not work, but a couple of things in there did work. And uh, we began to teach Bible studies. We baptized our first two people before we'd even launched the church. We didn't have a baptistry. So we uh, we snuck into a hotel pool, and uh, there were a bunch of people swimming in the pool. And we hopped in with all of our clothes on, and they looked at us like we were weird. Um, then we lifted our hands to pray, and they knew we were weird. And so they all hopped out of the water. I think they were afraid it was going to turn into holy water or something. 
And uh, we baptized two people. We got out, and then everybody waited a moment, and then they hopped back in the pool. And uh, I thought they thought it was safe to go again. And so we launched in September of 2015. God blessed us. We had 125 people on our launch Sunday. 21 of those were friends and family, but 104 people were unchurched uh, from the city of Philadelphia. Our next Sunday, we committed a cardinal sin of church planning. There's a long story that goes with it. But we had to switch buildings from week one to week two. And uh, a few blocks away, I didn't know if anybody would show back up, but 52 people showed back up week two. Week three, the Pope had the audacity to visit. You guys might remember that, 2015, the city. We couldn't come in. We couldn't go out of our neighborhood. So we had to cancel church uh, week number three. Week number four, though, 54 people showed back up. And uh, we were uh, beginning to feel like we were having revival. Over the next few weeks, we would baptize 16 people in Jesus' name to the glory of God. We had to use a lake outside because we didn't have a baptistry, and uh, some of those mornings were rather cold, uh, but we went and baptized them to the glory of God. Our first Easter, we had 96. This past Easter, we had 156 people there. God began to deal with us, though, about transition, and it's a long story, but it was handwriting on the wall. We knew that God was talking to us, and uh, so we began the process of transition out of Philadelphia, and uh, a new pastor and his wife were voted in, and uh, they're doing a tremendous job leading the church. They're full-time at the church, leading Liberty Church, right in the heart of Philadelphia. And uh, we, as your pastor already mentioned, we're traveling right now, city to city, church to church, state to state, district to district, and we are raising partners in prayer, as well as partners in finance to go to New York City uh, to plant another church for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to go with us and help us, and uh, we are excited about what lies ahead. I'm excited about what God is doing right here. You are experiencing a tremendous revival right here. I love what I feel in the house of the Lord this morning. If you're believing God for continued revival here, continued revival in Philadelphia, revival in New York City, would you lift your hands with me and just receive that right now? God, we're believing it. We're receiving it right now. Send us the latter, the former rain together. God, give it to us. Bring it to us, Jesus. In your matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, why don't you stand with me across the building? We'll go to the word of the Lord. I'm going to direct your attention to Isaiah chapter number 44, verses 23 and 24. Isaiah 44, 23 and 24. Our friends from Florida, we were just in Florida a couple of months ago, and uh, February, March, and we pretty much covered the state, I feel like, from uh, Panama City down to Miami and all in between. And so uh, we enjoyed our time there. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 23 through 24. If you have it, your Bible, shout amen. amen. If you didn't bring your Bible, we will give you an opportunity to repent here in a few minutes. Isaiah 44, 23, 24. The Bible says, Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth, and break forth into singing. I, I love how Isaiah just begins the verse Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Really doesn't matter what it is in your life today, but he's done it, and so he's worthy of praise. Let, let us continue to read. He said, uh, Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed. Somebody shout, Redeemed. Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Somebody shout, Redeemer. 
And he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He said, I'm talking about the Lord, your Redeemer, who hath redeemed each and every one of you. And I want to preach to you this morning by the help of the Lord from this verse, this text, the thought, redemption. Redemption. Now, for those of you who would consider yourself Christian and churched and maybe you've been to a few services in your past and you're like, well, bless God, this isn't for me. This is for that new person who needs to repent of their sins. Just look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Look at your other neighbor and say he's talking to you too. Now point your finger back at yourself and say he's talking to me. God's going to talk to us this morning. Would you lift your voices, your hands, your hearts toward heaven? Could we pray right now? Lord Jesus, we love you. We come to you with thanksgiving, with exaltation and adoration. From the very bottom of my heart, from the depth of my soul, I cry out unto you, believing that you will respond to our faith and our believing. Anoint our ears to hear, our minds to comprehend, our hearts to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord. Help us to leave this place different than what we came. Help me to speak as the oracle of the Lord. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time for Jesus? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Redemption. The uh, the word redemption is found 20 times in the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, similar words are also recorded such as redeem 40 times and redeemed with a D on it 61 times. Redeemer 18 times and redeeming three times. These these words have become a symbol of salvation for the sinner. It gives every one of us hope um, that regardless of the sin or the wickedness of our past, that we can receive um, salvation through the redeeming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text in Isaiah was written by a man that was very familiar with the sins of his day. He spends the first five chapters of his book, Isaiah chapters 1 through 5, talking about and calling out the sins of his generation. He begins by explaining that he is writing about things that he personally has witnessed. Otherwise, there might be other sins out there. There might be more wickedness than what he covers. But these are things specifically that he himself has seen. Here is what he says. He wastes no time in calling out the sin of his day. He, he begins by saying this. You are a sinful nation. He says you are a people covered in sin. He said you are evil doers. You are corruptors. He said you have forsaken the Lord and you have provoked him into judgment. He said you are on the brink of revolting against him even further. These are just the first five verses of the first chapter of his book. He doesn't stop there. He will speak about their idolatry. He will talk about their unfaithfulness. And and, and then he will compare them to thieves and harlots and murderers. And this is just the introduction. This is him saying, hello, good to see you. 
He starts out and just kind of hits you right in the face with the sin that's in your world. If you thought you were safe, be of good cheer because you're not safe because he did not spare anybody. He called out the world as we would call them. He called out the church. He called out friends. He called out family. As a matter of fact, if you were in his audience, he was one of those preachers that would have pointed a finger right at you and said, you are a sinner. Anybody ever been in one of those services where a gentleman comes through and he operates in the gift of the prophetic word of wisdom and knowledge and he just seems to know things that maybe you normal people wouldn't know about other people? Anybody ever seen one of those operate? I was raised in the South, if you were trying to figure out where my accent comes from. It's not cool enough to be Northern. It's not Southern enough to be that Southern draw. I was raised in Southeast Missouri, so I'm just hick is what I am. And so uh, we had a revival one time a year, though, with a faith preacher who operated in the gifts of the Spirit. And he would just know things about people that, that God had to tell him. And we always had tremendous revival every time that he came. But looking back on it, now that I'm a little older, to be honest with you, he's not a great preacher. And and to be honest with you, I I don't know that anything he necessarily does is powerful, really, other than just maybe some things he knows. But the church, when we heard he was coming, would spend a month on our faces uh, fasting and praying because we were afraid he might call us out in front of the whole church. And when he got in town, we were just more spiritual than we had ever been in our entire life. Uh, And we're going to have a move of God with him or without him. This is who Isaiah was. He just came to town and said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of sinners. You're a bunch of heathens. And you were here for an encouraging word this morning. You're like, hello. This is who Isaiah was. I believe if he was around today, he probably would have had very much the same take on our generation. As a matter of fact, if he saw some of the stuff going on in our world, it might have made him blush even in comparison to what he wrote about his generation. I noticed though when reading his book, Pastor, that he spends the first five chapters calling out your sins and your sins and your sins and your sins, but but he never talks about his sin. He's very quick to talk about everybody else. But he's very slow to say, I am a sinner. Matter of fact, you don't hear him say it in the first five chapters of his book. You see, it's always easier to put a spotlight on the sins of a generation than what it is to put a microscope over our own heart and talk about our own flaws and our own failures. This is where a word creeps into our vocabulary called the word of accusation. Anybody ever heard of an accusation? The accuser. You understand with me that we come by it naturally. Think about it as a child and you had some red juice on white carpet and you spilled it and mama walked in the room and she said how did the red juice get on the white carpet and you looked around and you're the only one in the room but you found somebody maybe even invisible to blame that it happened. Why? Because accusation just comes naturally. It's not my fault. It must be some Somebody else's fault. We we and we get it naturally because the devil he he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the father 
of all lies and in he he somehow has this spirit operating in our world and it's very easy to pick up this attribute that is not a good quality and become an accuser of everything around us the problem with accusation is it leads to a doorway of deception we begin to live our life pointing our finger at everybody else you understand with me that 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 i'm in this position because i wasn't raised in the right family i i wasn't raised in the right neighborhood i got passed over for promotion i didn't go to the right school i didn't have enough money i wasn't good enough looking and i i didn't have this break and i didn't have that break and we begin to blame all of our problems on life around us it's not our fault we are just a victim of a bad situation victim of our current circumstances and then as you begin to let accusation creep in the spirit of deception will settle on you and you begin to think things like I really am a good person I really am a a good individual just caught in a bad instance and none of this is my fault and then you begin to justify everything I can justify my sin I can justify my attitude I can justify my spirit because accusation and deception have married each other and now I just believe it to be true ever hung around somebody who told a lie long enough that it began to feel like truth this is what accusation and deception will do the truth of the matter is your good is not really holy and your holy is not good as a matter of fact the bible is clear my righteousness the very best part of me is as filthy rags i am nothing but he is everything i am unholy and he is holy i am unrighteous but the lord he is righteous isaiah is dealing with this spirit of accusation and deception and sin in his generation he deals with it for the first five chapters of his book isaiah but then chapter six rolls around he begins chapter six by saying in the year that king Uzziah died. This is a transition statement showing us that something has changed in the atmosphere. A change is shifting upon us. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train did fill the temple. The first five chapters, all he sees is your sins and my sins, but now he has caught a glimpse of the Lord. He did not stop with just seeing the Lord. He said, I saw a little something-something fluttering around over here uh, and a little something-something fluttering around over here. And uh, I wasn't certain as to what it is. Uh, but the more that I looked, uh, clarity began to come. And I realized uh, that it was one angel over here on the right hand of God. Uh, and the angel was looking confused. Uh, he was staring at the throne of God. Uh, and he knew that he needed to say something uh, 
but he wasn't sure what to say. What do you say when you're in the presence of a holy God? Over here, there was another angel, and he was looking just as dazed and confused as the previous angel. He stared at the throne of God, knowing he needed to speak, but wasn't sure what to say. Finally, a burst of boldness comes to him, and this is what he uttered. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now all the pressure shifted to the angel over here. He's the only one left in the room who hasn't spoken yet. He knows he has to say something. But how do you top his holiness? And so this angel over here, this is what he says. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You understand with me that I think God was trying to make a point. Isaiah, when you look at your generation. All you see is sin, sin, and more sin. But when you look at me, all you're ever going to see is holy, holy, holy. Can I preach to somebody right now and tell you He is still holy. He is still righteous. He is still great. He is still greatly to be praised. I don't know who you think you're serving this morning, but He is still Alpha and Omega, beginning and the ending, first and the last, he which was, which is, and which is to come. I'm talking about your healer, your deliverer, your savior, whatever you need, you can still find it in Jesus. He is God up front, God in the back, God in the amen corner, he's God all over the floor. I'm talking about God. He is your father, he is the son, and he is the Holy Ghost at the very same time. He is the root and He is the branch. He is the lily of the valley. The bright and the morning star. The rose of Sharon. The wheel in the middle of the wheel. I'm talking about a God who is an on-time God. An every-time God. I'm talking about a God who is alive and very much well. He is holy. 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 Hallelujah. I I have always looked at this text. I've always looked at this text. And I have always thought it was a choir. A whole host of angels saying, Holy, holy. A choir of angels singing in concert. Did you know it wasn't a choir? The Bible says it was one angel crying out to another angel. Two angels is all it was that cried holy. But when they cried holy, the Bible says the place was filled with smoke and the foundations of the world began to shake. How is this? Because when you start lifting up the name of Jesus, something is bound to happen. You understand with me this morning, I could take the microphone around and let every one of you confess 
confess your sins out loud and we can spend the whole morning talking about what you've done wrong or we can spend the next few minutes talking about what he does right and we will get more accomplished we will shake our world talking about who he is rather than talking about who we were I don't know what you have in your past but it really doesn't matter because when you come into his house everything can be washed away and wiped away and you can become a new creature in Christ Jesus and we stop talking about us and we start talking about him and then and only then do we begin to change our world hallelujah you hang with me I'm going to be mindful of your time this morning but hang with me we're going to to preach before we're done this morning watch what happens Isaiah sees the Lord he hears the angels cry holy you want to know what the next words out of his mouth are my brothers and sisters and friends and generation are sinners no that's not what he said the next word out of his mouth is wow is me for I am a man of unclean lips. I've been talking about your sins like I've got it all together. You understand that comparison kills people. As long as I am comparing myself one to another, judging one another, I can always find somebody that I feel is a bigger sinner than me. And I can justify my life by their life. But when you compare yourself to God, none of us can come close to who he is. Woe is me. For I am a man who is broken, undone. A man of unclean lips. I am convinced in this moment he puts the pen and paper down. He is on his knees groveling before the Lord, realizing his wickedness and his sin. He is prepared to close the pages of his book and stop writing forever. I believe that when he caught the revelation, who am I? Who am I to start writing a book? Who am I to call out sin? Who am I to talk about the Lord? He was ready to close the book. But the Bible says that an angel came down and with a coal from the altar put it on his lips and he began to feel the Lord through this action he began to feel redeemed and grace and mercy and in that moment he realized that none of us are qualified and none of us are good enough and none of us are holy enough we can only hope that we are redeemed by the Lord God of heaven so let me apologize to you on behalf of religion. Can I do that? Because we've come out of generations where there are far too many places that put the name Christian and church on their sign. But they are so pharisaical, judgmental, that you have to belong to a certain race, a certain culture, a certain economic standard, and you have to be a little so, so, so good in order to fit in their club. Can I tell you somewhere along 
along the way. Religion has missed it because there is nobody qualified to receive His grace and His mercy. Newsflash, such were some of us, but we have all been justified and sanctified by the blood of the Lamb and by the name of the Lord our God. There are no perfect people under the sound of my voice. We are all sinners who are saved by grace. We are all mess ups and mishaps and miscues who God decided to show love and mercy to and redeem us one more time. Are you thankful for redemption this morning? Are you thankful for His love? Are you thankful for His grace and mercy? The fact that He's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the 5,000th chance. I don't care how many times you are fallen. You belong in the church. You're welcome in the church. You will be received in the church. Hallelujah. For all of time, for all of time, the questions come up. Am I too far gone? Did that last sin send me over the edge? Come on, you've asked these questions. Did that last mess up ruin me forever? Did the last year of my life just discount me from the future that God has for me? Did He finally get fed up and tired of my shenanigans and decide to move on to somebody else? Is God gone from me? This same writer who had this revelation, Isaiah, would later write, His ear is not too heavy that He cannot hear, and His arm is not too short uh, that he cannot save. Uh, he was saying, I don't care how wicked you have been, uh, how bad your past was, uh, there is always room for you uh, at the foot uh, of the cross. Uh, there is a I feel God right now because there are people under the sound of my voice. You are questioning your past. You are questioning mistakes you have made before. And God says this morning, don't think another thing about it. Just come running to me and I'll take care of your past. I'll take care of your mess ups. I'll take care of your miscues. You just start living for me today. You worry about today and tomorrow. I'll take care of yesterday. God, God has always been in the redeeming business. Think about, think about disciples going into the city of Jericho. Out of all the places that probably did not want to end up was Rahab's house. Even for the wickedness of Jericho, Rahab's house was considered to be the most sinful house in a sinful city. And where does God send his people? To Rahab's house. A few verses later, the wall will come tumbling down. Jericho will be defeated. And only one house in the whole city will be saved. Rahab's house. Because God takes what everybody around us thinks is the worst case scenario. And he makes it the best case scenario. He's all about 
redeeming things. That's why David, the shepherd boy, will take Goliath's sword and cut off the giant's head with his own sword. Because God is all about taking things that the enemy wanted to use and turning them around. Maybe you remember that verse in Scripture. What the enemy has meant for your evil, God has turned it around for your good. So can I tell you this morning, every test, every trick, every temptation that you have endured from the enemy, it was nothing more than a set up to set you back. But in spite of your mess ups, in spite of your miscues, in spite of your mishaps, God has taken what others say are unusable and He has redeemed you in spite of it. Oh, I see where the devil tricked me back here. I see where I stumbled back here. And the devil laughed at me and mocked me. But rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. It's not over. I'm going to get back up. I'll be up again. Just you wait and see. Tough times won't get me down. They'll just send me to my knees. And there while I'm in prayer, I'm going to feel His power, His grace, and His mercy come. And I'm going to get back up one more time. Hallelujah. God's already forgiven me. And then I went and made the same mistake again. Uh Uh-oh. Well, you need to leave if you're like that here today. Please leave. No. No. Some of you are like, oh, man. He did call me out after all of that. No, 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 no. God is in the redeeming business. Let's go to school for a minute, can we? In our English vernacular... If you put re, R-E, in front of any word, what does it mean? Do it again. You want to call something to remembrance? You remember it. God said, I am a redeeming God. You fell on your face in sin. You came to the altar and I forgave you. You went back out and did the some same dumb thing over and over again. But you can come back in and I will redeem you again. Now that's not a license to sin. But what it is saying is no matter how many times you fall, His grace and His mercy will always be under you to pick you back. God is a re-God. He reforms and revives and renews and restores and replies and he redeems. He is a do it again kind of God. Just for the fun of it, let's dissect the rest of the word. Re means do it again. Emption means to purchase or buy back. So God owns you. He created you. The devil stole you, but God said, I will imption you, I will purchase you, and buy you back. And if you fail again, I will re 
re-imption you again. And then if I have to, I will re-imption you again. And just for the fun of it, he threw in the letter D, red-imption. Because God took something red called blood, and that's what he purchased your sin-sick soul with. He will red-imption you as many times as it takes to save you from yourself and from the sin around you. Let me let, let let me hasten. Watch this New Testament story, okay? Peter finds himself in the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, Simon the Tanner is an interesting character in scripture. The Tanner means he would do things that other people didn't want to do. In the Jewish culture, You do not associate with any dead thing. If you touch a dead body, you are deemed unclean. If you touch a dead animal, you are deemed unclean. If you are within even a certain amount of feet of something dead, you are unclean. You are to leave the city. You are to go through rituals of purification and and experiences at the altar before you're even allowed back into society if you come into contact with a dead thing. Simon is the tanner. He goes out and finds dead stuff. You know when the donkey ran over the little bunny on the side of the road and roadkill happened? That was Simon Tanner's heyday. He went and got the dead bunny. He brought it back to his workshop. He cleaned off all the junk from it and got to hide the skin of the animal. Then he would go out and take it and lay it in the sun and allow the sun to purify it. Then he would take it inside and he would put it in a fire and he would purify all of the deadness and the the wickedness off of it. He would clean it up real nice. He'd cut it up into the right shape. Then he had like a little store out front and he put manuscripts, books, and scrolls. That's where the paper was made from. It was the hide of these animals that, that the word of God was written on. It was written on on dead animal skin is what it was written on. But these men of God, these pharisaical men of God, were too good to touch anything dead. That's too far gone. That's beyond touch. That is too unclean for me to get my hands dirty with. But Simon the Tanner would go find the stuff that other people cast aside that nobody else wanted. He'd take it back to his workshop and after cleaning it up and purifying it bit. He put it out in front so much that people would be willing to come and pay money for what he had at this point. Simon was in the redeeming business. You see, God walks around and he's looking at people here today who have been cast out by your own family. There are people under the sound of my voice whose society has written off, who said you're not good enough for the promotion at work. You'll never become anything in life. Your family has even had questions about about you. But God said what everybody else lays aside cast aside and deems untouchable. I can purify it. I can clean it up. And I can redeem it and use it to write my word upon. You might have been a cast out yesterday. But today God writes his word in your heart through his redeeming power. Let me hasten, let me hasten to a close. It's already afternoon. Watch this. 
I let me go to this. I was in a waiting room some time ago, and I was waiting on my vehicle to be serviced. And there was nothing to do there. I, I didn't have my computer with me to work, and my phone was dead, and it was just, there was nothing. And there was a magazine there. So I picked up the magazine. It was a fashion magazine. I'm not really into fashion. My wife just lays out whatever I wear, and I put it on and roll with it. So, But there was, in the beginning of this book, there was one of those right into Judy sections, you know, except her name was like Pam or something, right into Pam. And people would write in questions about fabric and material and fashion, and she would answer them. So I began to read the questions. One of the questions intrigued me. This lady said, I think it was like Judy from Fort Worth or something, she wrote in and said, I have this shirt. It is red. It fits me perfect. It has the right buttons, the right cuffs. It's so stylish. I love it. I have looked everywhere to buy another shirt like this, but I need the shirt in white. Can you tell me, I know there has to be a way to dye it properly, but can you tell me uh, how I can take the red shirt and make it a pure white? And Pam wrote back and said, Dear Judy from Fort Worth, I am sorry to tell you this, but if your shirt had been green, blue, Light shade of pink, purple, yellow. I could have helped you just like that. But since it's red, if it is, as you say, a real red, it is impossible to make it pure white. She said, she went on to write, that the the, 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 the intangibles... Uh, of the color red, the dye. It has like these little threads in it uh, that will wrap themselves around the fibers uh, of the garment. Uh, They entangle themselves with the garment so tight uh, that no matter how much you try to pull it out, uh, it will never become a pure white. You can get it an off-white maybe. Uh, You can get it a light shade of pink, uh, but it is impossible uh, to take something dyed red uh, and make it pure white the problem with Pam is she didn't know Isaiah because he wrote and said come now and let us reason together for though your sins be like scarlet he will make them white as snow and though they be red like crimson he will make them white as wool otherwise even though sin has stained your life God has the power to wipe away all of the fibers of the red sin and make it white and pure and holy all over again I don't know what is in your past but there ought to be somebody who would stand to your feet right now and lift your hands to heaven and begin to thank God for saving you, for reaching you, for His grace and His mercy and His love in your life. Stand with me across the building. Let me finish this morning like this. You see, sometimes, sometimes in our generation, this accusation 
deception. It's kind of gotten the best of us. Ever notice it's hard to meet a sinner anymore? I remember as a kid doing outreach, Pastor. You go talk to a man on the street. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't go to church. I know I should. I'm a sinner. No matter who you meet out there now, they all saved. You see, the problem is we come into the church and that mentality creeps in here. Especially some of us who've been around this for a while. We hear redemption preached. Some of you already looked around today. Oh, this is for so-and-so. Glad they're here this morning. Some of you already made a note of who wasn't here and you're going to try to get them a copy of the sermon because they need to hear it. When God's trying to talk to us. You see, we all have a response to redemption. It's true. If there's sin in your life, your response this morning is to repent. Okay? If there's sin in your life, your response is to repent. But if you choose to walk out the back door and say, hey, I'm not responding at all. I'm just leaving today. You actually responded. You rejected redemption. You can repent or you can reject it, but you will respond to it. What about that person in the middle who, I prayed for repentance this morning. I prayed for salvation, forgiveness this morning, repentance. And I don't think there's anything in my heart. I'm trying to live right. What's our response? Well, we rejoice. Because God has reached down to us. But whether we repent, rejoice, or reject, we will all respond to the message today. My question for you all across this building is how many would like to respond in the right way to God's offer for redemption? How many? Let's just do this. I'm about to blow the cover off all of our masquerades this morning. You're like, "Uh uh-oh. I'm not going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. How many would be willing to admit... It's not saying you're living in sin right now, but how many of you be willing to admit there's some stuff I need to take to God in prayer? Maybe I did it last week, last month, last year, 10, 20 years ago. But there's some stuff in my past that I've either had to take to God or I'm taking to God this morning. Come on, throw your hand up. I'm not perfect is what I'm asking. Look around now. I didn't have you close your eyes. I want you to see. Look at all the hands. There are no perfect people here. But we all need to respond to redemption. I wonder right now, I don't know what you typically do on a Sunday. I know we don't have a ton of room around the front. But here's what I would love for us to do. I want you to have some sign of response. So I'm going to invite you to come forward. Even if you only can make it one row ahead of you or step out in the aisle. At this time, would would you just begin to come forward and would you just respond to God's offer of redemption this morning? Come on, would you step out from where you are? Come on, would you just begin to come forward? Come as close as you can and... You can't get all the way, just step out and come somewhat forward. wonder how many this morning, if there's sin in your life this morning, now would be a great time to repent of that sin. Come on, would you close your eyes, bow your heads, maybe lift your hands. Come on, would you just pray a prayer of repentance right now? Come on, if God, if God has washed your sins away in baptism, He's forgiven you of your transgressions through repentance. Come on, why don't you rejoice right now? Rejoice that He loves you. That He cares enough for you to give you a second, a third, a hundredth chance. If there's something in your life that's been a stumbling block, an addiction you can't quite get over, today God can remove that stumbling block out of your life. 
and give you a new, fresh start this morning. Come on, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things are become new. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. Isaiah spent the first five chapters talking about your sins. He spent chapter 6 talking about his sin. But the last 60 chapters of his book, he talked about Jesus. Come on, would you cry out to Jesus this morning? Would you lift up the name of Jesus this morning? Come on, He's the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can give you a clean start. He's the only one who can wipe away yesterday and give you a brand new today. Come on, somebody begin to pray. And thank God for redemption right now. Oh, let's give him all the praise today. Thank you, Jesus. 